This is episode 45 of the Kindred Mom podcast. I am your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hi there, friends. Thank you so much for being here for this episode of the Kindred Mom podcast. I'm excited to be bringing you a show on the topic of cultivating home, which is our October theme of the month. And there are some conversations that will follow in this show that I hope will bring you a lot of encouragement. The first segment includes Lynn Patty and Lindsay Cornett, two of our Kindred Mom team members. The three of us are talking about what cultivating home looks like in our own families and the very worthy pursuit of just honing in on our family values and trying to create a space in which we can live those values along with our little ones. The second half of the show features one of our writers in residence. Her name is Rebecca Crosby, and she is a sweet and very talented writer. She has some things to share about what it looks like to live with kids in your home and just making peace with how that might be different than other seasons of life. Uh, You know, having toys everywhere and having new challenges for organization and what our homes look like. She has a lot of really encouraging things to say. One of the things I wanted to mention in these announcements at the beginning is that we have an opportunity for some writers to join us in a writer-in-residence capacity for our spring season coming up. We're receiving in applications for those roles from now until November 1st, so if that's something that interests you, check out the link in the show notes and apply. Thanks so much. Well, we are launching into a new series on Kindred Mom this month, and it is called Cultivating Home, which I hope is a really rich discussion about what really is important in the walls that we live in with our families. And I have today with me Lindsay Cornett and Lynn Patty for this conversation. Ladies, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Good to be here. Yes, it's really great to have you. And You know, one thing I love about the way we do our thematic topics every month on Kindred Mom is it gives us a chance to really camp on something for a little bit and think about it a little deeper. And with this topic, I feel like there's so many things that we could talk about that fall under the umbrella of cultivating home from the super practical spaces, organization, decor, to some of those hard things, such as what I'm kind of gravitating towards as far as what really makes a home and the safety and security and sanctuary of home. And I'm just really curious for the two of you, when we talk about cultivating home, what does that phrase, like cultivating, how is that important in this conversation and topic that we're exploring this month? I was thinking about how there are, almost like you said, Emily, there are so many different things that we could be thinking about when it comes to cultivating home. We think about how our homes are organized and how they are decorated and how we clean them and how often we clean them and using what kinds of products. And we think about the rules that and expectations that we have for our kids. And we think about our neighborhoods and our cities and our schools, right? There are so many layers. Yeah. And I don't think any of us have the emotional or mental capacity to deal with all of those layers all the time, right? Like at some point, we kind of have to decide what is most important to us. For me, I like my home to be pretty. I'm not really great at cleaning. I kind of let some of that go. I I know I let cleaning tasks linger longer than they should, Mm -hmm. Um, but we only have so much energy. And so we really have to think about what's most important to us in our homes. What do we want them to feel like? How do we want people to feel when they get here? And less so, I think, other people, although hospitality is important, but the people that are in our family, how do we want them to feel about our homes and in our homes? Um, Those are some of the things that I think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I agree with what Lindsay said. And I think for me, the task of creating a home, cultivating a home, I find very much falls on me, the mom. And it's something that in some seasons I've taken very seriously and in other seasons I've had to let it go. But this idea that home is a safe and healthy place for all these people that I love to be and to learn and grow is a very important task, I find, um, for me as the mom. And so I think that 
even that can go a lot of different directions. But for me, that is loaded with pressure. Mm-hmm. It's loaded with expectation. And then on the more healthier side, mm-hmm. it's loaded with this profound sense of uh, purpose for what my job is. Yeah, I, I just love what you said about a profound sense of purpose, because I think home to me is a really critical part of my focus as a mother. I'm obviously a stay-at-home mom, and I spend majority of my time at home with my kids. And there are so many things to try to tackle in the course of a day. And for me, organization is not my top skill. <laughs> and tidiness is not my top skill. It's not even close to my like middle of the road skill either. But <laughs> it's it's just not what's most important to me because I think from my upbringing and having come from a divorced home and having had a lot of upheaval in my life, I am just really focused on the hearts of the people in my home and like working through challenges and disagreements and trying to cultivate a spiritually safe space And the rest is really secondary to me. And it's so secondary that it probably should receive a little bit more attention. It is something that I do carry a bit of shame about sometimes because I have many very organized friends whose homes look very beautiful all the time. And, you know, that temptation to compare like, you know, what my home looks like compared to what theirs looks like is is really strong, especially in a kind of Pinterest driven culture. There's so many shows on like home renovations and, you know, we're still in a house that we rent. So there is some part of not having ownership over this space in its entirety that has made it really difficult for me to really like go to town. We've lived here for nine years and I still don't have things on the walls unless I just happen to paste them there with, you know, sticky tack one random day. There's no (laughs) um, real plan or thought or intention in our decor, which is not my, it's not what I want necessarily, but it's just kind of been through all the transitions and changes that we've been through and the fact that we don't own our house and we're kind of just waiting for what's next has just put my focus in the more intangible parts of cultivating home. And I don't think that one or the other is better they both have a role in what it's like to live here. But that's just what I'm coming from and how I see this topic as we approach it. Emily, I think that your vulnerability and sharing all of that is very important for this conversation to mm-hmm. begin with. Because I think when the moms out there who are going to listen to this, when they've clicked on this podcast, they could also be carrying a lot of that weight and shame and, you know, well, I'll just never add yeah. up and I don't know why I'm even listening to this podcast right now. And I almost just want to like open this space up to just be like, this is so safe right now. You know, this is just a conversation about where the three of us have landed right now um, in 2018 and wherever you are is where you are and it's okay. Well, and I think too, part of that struggle to really have a a home that shows that I'm put together, you know, Mm -hmm. we all want to put our best foot forward. We all want to be put together in whatever that looks like to our own standards, right? But I just, Mm -hmm. I think for me, learning how to care for my home in a very basic daily way. Like I, I clean my house, you know, I do our laundry, I do our dishes, but the end result of all my efforts doesn't ever add up to this satisfying level of clean that I'm just like, I'm so accomplished. Look what I did, you know, because of course they have all these kids that follow behind me and undo everything, which is for me exactly (laughs) why we can't put a sense of worth over ourselves based on what our homes look, you know, like I think it's perfectly beautiful and wonderful when somebody is really gifted at that, or they do work extra hard at making their home, like just a really peaceful place that is cozy and beautifully decorated. I do not look down on that at all. I'm a little jealous, (laughs) you know, if anything, but I just think, you know, there, there can't be this identity connected to what our home looks like because there are so many layers of things that we're each navigating through, like our past and our present challenges and all the people who also live in our house who might not share our ideals and desires for how spaces are kept. And so, you know, it is a safe space for us to talk about this. And I'd love to 
dive in a little bit more to what it looks like in each of your homes in this present season. You know, I know that you both have different things going on, Lynn. You're in the middle of preparing to move. And Lindsay, I know you have a really great story about just taking down the fence between you and your neighbor's yard. And I'd love to talk about that. I'd love you to share a little bit about it and then talk about how that has impacted what home has felt like for you as you guys have really melded your backyards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we moved from Florida to Michigan a few years ago and we were coming in kind of blind. We had never given any thought to living in Michigan. We did not know anyone who lived here in Grand Rapids. We were totally unfamiliar with the city. We were just coming for my husband's job and they assigned us a realtor to help us go around and look for houses. And we just didn't know where to begin. We didn't know how to make that decision because we didn't know the city at all. And ultimately, we were trying to decide between um, a house where we were kind of close to cool coffee shops and the heart of town and this other house that was a little more off the beaten path But it just seemed we drove by and there was a snowman in the neighbor's yard and there were kids dragging up their trash cans. And we had our son who was almost two and I was pregnant um, with our second. And we just thought like, okay, this seems like a good neighborhood for families. And the house was pretty run down. We were going to be renting. And but we just thought the priority here really should be the neighborhood and the people that we'll be surrounded with and what will be best for our kids rather than which house is going to be the prettiest, right? And so we chose this house, this little gray house, which we rented for two years. And in that time, we just really fell in love with our neighbors. We were so fortunate to be surrounded by people who took the initiative to get to know us, to welcome us, to take good care of us. They were our middle of the night phone calls when a baby was coming, all of those sorts of things. And so after two years, our lease was coming up on our rental. And right around that same time, we found out that the house next door to our rental was going to be put on the market. Mm-hmm. And so we jumped on it. We offered her, we gave her our best offer before she even put the house on the market. And we said, mm-hmm. we really want your house. We don't want to leave this neighborhood. And she accepted our offer, um, even though it was a little bit of a lowball offer. And so we ended mm-hmm. up moving one house over. So our new next door neighbors Mm -hmm. are also like our best friends. And after we moved in, we were trying to decide what to do with the fence in the backyard because there had been a tree that was knocking the fence down. And so we're standing there talking to our neighbors about it. And our neighbor, Jim, just said, well, why don't we just take the fence down? Like, we don't really need it. Mm. And we kind of laughed and like blew him off, but he made it clear over time that he wasn't really joking. And so that's what we did. We ended up tearing down the fence. And now in between our two houses, we share Mm. just this kind of big giant backyard. And it's wonderful. Our kids are kind of all in the same age range and we share toys and we grill out together and it's kind of become our neighbors across the street joke that we have a little commune going (laughs) back here. And it does kind of feel a little bit old fashioned almost in some way, but it has really just expanded our ideas of what home is and what home can be. Because at first we were really nervous about, we thought about like privacy and we thought about, well, what if our kids are annoying them? Like, our kids, what if they're throwing a temper tantrum in the backyard? Like we're going to expose our neighbors to that all the time and not have any division. Like a a fence really keeps the tantrums at bay. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Like they wouldn't be able to hear it anyway. But there is still sort of this illusion, right? That like, this is my space and this is your space. Um, And I, we just kind of had to learn to let that go. And part of that is these neighbors, right? Like we wouldn't maybe do this with anybody, but they just made it really clear to us, like, Hey, what's mine is yours. And their generosity and kind of hospitality to us really made all the difference, Mm -hmm. I think. And it's just kind of, you know, I think in America, maybe especially we have this like mine, mine, mine mentality. Like this is my house and my yard and my family, my parenting. And we've kind of been able to expand our view on that a little bit. To me, as a Christian, it's been really meaningful. To me, it just really reflects like this 
kingdom of God mentality is what I would call it. Just that we're supposed to set a bigger table, right? Welcome more people in, share our lives more openly and vulnerably. Mm-hmm. And we just love it. And it's it's so hard. We know that my husband's job will likely take us somewhere yeah. else mm-hmm. um, in the not too distant future. And that's really hard for us to imagine leaving these yeah. people, you know, because they've really become our family, which has been so important to us because all of our biological, like literal yeah. family lives, you know, 1200 yeah. miles away. Yeah, And I love just the, the part of the story that really focuses in on those relationships and, you know, it is really easy to try to parse out all these separate spaces of our lives and have the individualism that really is very pervasive in our culture these days. But I just love how you have shared multiple different little tidbits with us over the last months um, just about this story and what you have gained from not having a home that just feels so closed and separate and individual. And so that's really lovely. And Lynn, I know you're in a season of just kind of waiting to be able to get into a new house that you're hoping to be into soon. I'd love for you to talk about what home is like right now in this transition time of not really being able to like actually let your hair down. Yeah. So we moved out of our house for a week at the end of August to have it um, deep cleaned, staged, uh, finish some construction uh, so that we can get it sold. And after we moved back in to a staged home, I realized how much home really does mean to me. I would say pretty much until this mm-hmm. past m- a few days ago, I have been fighting this feeling that I'm living in someone else's house mm-hmm. and that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And this whole conversation about cultivating home has just really hit home with me. We did pack away about 70% of our material belongings in order to make this happen. And I do want to say from the practical standpoint that it has been much easier yeah. to live in a home with so much less stuff. Yeah. You know? Oh, interesting. It's a lot easier to clean. It's a lot easier to see the mess and pick it up. Yeah. And I have always been on that bandwagon of yes, less stuff makes your life less complicated, but now I like really get it. <laughs> so that's actually been, that's actually been a really good thing that's come out of this. Yeah. All the little touches that the stager put in our home, like fake orchids or this like random metal like plate thing on a dresser, just stuff like that. I'm like, I hate it. It's just so not me. Um, all that to say that home means so much more to me than I ever realized things like a vase that my grandmother gave Mm me, or even a piece of furniture that is important to me that I'm used to seeing in the guest room. It was a hope chest. Um, it's not there right now and we still have it. We didn't give it away, but I miss it. I miss those little, those little touches. And so I, as a mom have understood more deeply the sacrifice that it takes to make our little ducklings feel safe in the nest. And there's a Ann Voskamp post, a blog post from ages ago, which we can put in the show notes, but she just talks about how you know, mother ducks line their nests with mm-hmm. feathers and uh, in order to make the nest soft yeah. and cozy, the real switch comes when you understand that those mother ducks pluck the feathers out of their yeah. own breasts in order to oh, make the nest wow. soft. And oh my goodness, I just feel that so acutely because I feel like every time I get on my hands and knees to clean up oatmeal off the floor, I'm plucking a feather or every time I am cleaning up the school stuff because we have to have school on the dining room table and then we have to have dinner on the dining room table. I'm like, okay, pluck, you know, and just that there is a sacrifice that takes place and it is a worthy sacrifice. You know, it's, it's worth it to have a place where our ducklings can grow uninhibited and with love surrounding them. I have chills, Lynn. I'm going to remember that image for, I think, forever. That's really, really powerful and so true. And sometimes I have the... um, I don't know, the problem, the personality quirk, maybe where I get in this mind of like, this is my home too. I just want to relax. Like, I don't want to be the responsible Mm -hmm. one who has to do all of these things. And obviously there are times when we do need to rest and 
And I have plenty of that, but this is, that's probably an area where I could use an attitude adjustment. Well, and I think this is part of the conversation is just seeing that like what we have to show for our homes is not really what makes a home that it's that cultivation part of this topic, you know, cultivating home is different than just home and cultivating home does show that we have some intention and some directed effort at how it is to live here. Like that we have such influence in that process. And for me, um, it's been a very humbling journey um, since I first became a mom to now having a large family. There is a huge sacrifice. There is a, a stretching thin and the as the needs grow within the family, so grows the sacrifice. And yet I just wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I'm still like at a place where I would love for my house to be more orderly and I'm working towards that. I would love for my, you know, furniture to be kept nice (laughs) and my kids not destroy everything in the first Mm. like 30 days we have it. But at the same time, like (laughs) I just think the effort that goes into washing the dishes and folding the clothes and putting things in order, even if it doesn't stay that way for very long, those, all those small things really do matter to how our children feel loved and cared for in their home, even if they don't see it or recognize that right now. Because I think about the time when I was young, when my parents were still married and our home was very humble very cozy. The wood that we burned in our fireplace, my dad had chopped in the woods himself. And the stuff that my mom made for our dinner was stuff that she slaved over, did from scratch recipes. And, you know, I just really miss that sense of familiarity and care that has been missing from my life for a long time, you know, as far as it being offered to me in that way. Mm -hmm. And, that we have such an opportunity to offer that to our kids just with the joy that we bring into whatever it is that we do to invest in our home spaces. And that can look so many different ways. I love that it's kind of our mantra here that there's not a single right way. I mean, there's so many different kinds of families, so many different kinds of moms. So what that actually looks like in practice will be different from person to person, but just being able to think for a moment about what can I do to bring peace and to bring just this sense of purpose to what it is that I do that might not be as glamorous. It might not be something that I'm thrilled to be doing, but knowing that it does make a real difference in our family's lives, I think helps to put away some of the poor attitudes that sometimes we bring along with us. I do, at least. I think moving sometimes can really clarify a lot of that for us. I, When we were moving into this house, I was super excited mm-hmm. because we were going to own a house for the first time. And I immediately jumped to my 10 million Pinterest pins and yeah. all my ideas about what I wanted this house mm-hmm. to look like and the changes we were going to make and what I would need to go buy at HomeGoods and whatever. And I, not long after that, we attended a parenting seminar at our church. And I just had this like epiphany moment where I thought like, I have given a lot of time and energy and thought to what my home is going to look like, but I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to what it's going to feel like. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something too that I think Michael Lynn Smith talks about in her book, The Nesting Place, that before we start thinking about you know, what our home is going to look like, if it's going to be minimalist or farmhouse or whatever, that we should really give some thought to how we want it to feel. And Emily, you talked about wanting your home to feel peaceful. Um, I really want my home to feel cozy and fun. Those are some of the words that come down to me. Like I really want my kids and our friends to feel like it's a fun place to be and not like super formal or stuffy. And I think that those sorts of things are more able to reflect the values and priorities that we have as individuals and as families than any of the decor is able to do. So before we wrap up this um, episode, I really wanted to just hear from both of you and talk about what are the organization hacks or anything to do with your home care that just like is totally saving your life or is something you just really feel like other moms should know about. If you have a a quirky way that you organize a specific thing or if you have um, just a 
maybe you have cleaning products that you just love. I would love to share some of those kind of things with our listeners. After my fourth baby was born, I taught my older three how to um, fold and put away their laundry. Mm -hmm. So it just means that they have their own hampers, that the hampers all come down on Friday morning. I run everything through the washing machine. And then Friday afternoon before any TV or whatever, uh, they have to fold and put away their laundry. That has really helped our home run very smoothly. Uh, Secondly, uh, I have identified that the countertop in our kitchen, if it is at all messy or disorganized or has, you know, drippings of breakfast on it, I have trouble moving on to the next thing. So I've just learned how Well, first I identified that area because I think probably it's a different place for everybody. And so I can literally do it in probably five minutes. I just put away things, uh, clean things, even just put dishes in the sink if the dishwasher isn't at a good place or whatever. And it helps me move forward. And then lastly, I do have a cleaning lady because I've just understood that her five hours here at my house multiplies my time probably by by four. Like I get 20 hours because she has done what she's done. And uh, it's just what's where we haven't always been able to do that. But right now in this phase of life, uh, it has become a priority and we put it in the budget. And um, and she is also a good friend of mine now as well. That's awesome, Lynn. Okay. A couple things come to mind for me. Yeah. One is that I have started trying to store things where they are used mm-hmm. as opposed to where seems like the most logical or traditional place for them to be. Yeah. For example, <sighs> awesome. I moved my kindergartner's school uniforms out of his dresser mm-hmm. and I moved them into the bathroom. They are now stored in a drawer in the bathroom because that's <laughs> where he gets dressed in the morning. Awesome. He doesn't get dressed in his room. And I, when the school year started, he would wake up in the morning to get ready for school and our younger son, who they, they share a room, he would still be sleeping. Yeah. And I would mm-hmm. be stressing out about trying to get into the closet to get socks or underwear or whatever that I was going to wake up, you know, Leo. And so I moved them to the bathroom and it just eliminates a little bit of extra stress and a little bit of extra time in the mornings. I keep Sharpies in the drawer with our Ziploc bags Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I tend to need to label the bag for whatever reason. So just like little things like that are helpful and make my days run a little bit more smoothly because I don't have to go to a second location to look for the thing I need. I think I'm going to move all of my kids' socks on this note downstairs to where, (laughs) to like our entryway closet, I'm going to find a spot for their socks because I am always running back upstairs at the last minute for a pair of socks. So I did that. We keep our socks. We keep a thing of socks by the shoes. And we, I also have a second basket for dirty socks because dirty, dirty socks come off by the shoes. And then they're just like, on the floor. So I'm like, no, 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 put them in this smaller basket. And then that gets washed like once every two weeks or, you know, however many socks you have. Super smart. You guys should ask me in a couple weeks if I have moved the socks downstairs. Uh, um, that's going to the top of my to-do list. Um, yeah. The other thing that comes to mind for me is something that I read from Ann Bogle. I don't know if you guys follow her online. Her blog is Modern Mrs. Darcy. Mm-hmm. But one time she wrote about this hack, I guess you could call it. And it was a big aha moment for me. And the Basically, I have this phrase that I repeat to myself all the time, which is complete the cycle. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to like imagine any task as a complete circle. And I should do everything within my power to bring it all the way around. So for example, I am totally the person who... Like instead of putting something away, I will just set it on the counter or I will like bring it into the room with me, but it won't get to the place where it actually belongs. And so I'm learning instead to complete the cycle, to just deal with the item or the task completely Mm -hmm. in that moment as much as possible rather than only doing something halfway. So even something as simple as like dishes, if I can wash the dish real quickly, instead of just setting it in the sink, like I should just do it in one um, swift motion because it doesn't really take that much more time in the moment. And it just means I have one less half finished task to deal with later. It's a gift to yourself later. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's a great way to think about it. Um, And that's not always possible, you know, because I have three small children who are demanding my attention. Um, but as much as possible, I try to do that. 
and also I'm lazy, right? It's not just the kids. It's just that I don't feel like doing these tasks. So sometimes I just need to, you know, take a deep breath and have the self-discipline to power through something. And like you said, I'm always glad that I took care of it later. Well, I don't have like hardcore organization tips, but I do have kind of cleanup tips with uh, a larger family. And so one of our strategies is anytime we need to mobilize and get a space clean, we work from the perimeter to the center. And Mm. so the little ones, they don't always get things exactly to where they're supposed to be, but they can move stuff from the outer edges and under things and, you know, all stuff that's, um, just really going to be walked by if it's left where it is to the center of the room. So everybody who is still working together to obliterate that mess can see what is left to take. And so our upstairs has hardwood floors. So we just sweep everything to the middle, whether it's socks, coats, papers, trash, crumbs, (laughs) it all goes to the middle. And I'm like, all right, your turn to pick the pile. And then I'll assign someone else to scoop at the end when it just needs to go in the trash. And that works really well for us, um, especially because we have so many different ages in our family and the little ones can still be a part of that. And also I have moved all of our dishes from the dishwasher, except for the glasses, to a cupboard that everyone over the age of four can reach. And so that means I have five available children to unload the dishwasher at any given time, which is probably the one task that if that gets stopped up, I can't get dishes into the dishwasher if it's not unloaded. I happen to really despise unloading the dishwasher when it's clean for whatever reason. I'll do the cups and then I'll have a little one do the other. And I think they really like to be able to help in that way because they can also get out the dishes that they need when they need to pour themselves cereal. And that just kind of furthers the independence um, in our own care and makes you feel like they're a part of things. So it's not all falling on my shoulders. So those are two simple things that we do. And other than that, I'm not an organization guru, so I don't have a lot of else to offer in that conversation. But I just thought those might be helpful for some of the mamas listening. And I think that, man, there's so many practical things just then. And also just to get rid of stuff. Just, just, we can be suffocated by stuff. And uh, I think it was Tish Oxenreiter. She's like, if you spend more of your time managing stuff than you do in your relationships, then there's a problem. And I was like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness. Cause I manage so much stuff. And I was like, this has to stop kind of thing. And it's a process that did not happen overnight. You know, and along with that, Like that has fueled my, like, if there's a toy that annoys me, it's out. I don't even care how much they love it or when they got it or who gave it to them. If it annoys me, it's out of here. (laughs) And that is a good word, Emily. It's a good, yeah. Yeah. Donate your kids toys. I I do involve them when we like purge things, but you know, it's mostly those ones that don't have a shut off button and you're like, who designed this? It was not a mother. <laughs> so anyway, well, thanks, ladies, for being here. This is a great conversation. And I hope that people will check out the blog and the essays that are going up this month. And I would really love to have people join our Facebook group and just kind of be a part of the conversations that we have this month, sharing both your challenges and your questions you might have. Um, We have several people in our community who are awesome at solutions for home organization and stuff. So I welcome you guys to join our community there and we'll we'll put the link for that in our show notes. Thanks for being here, ladies. Thanks for having me. Bye. I'd love to welcome one of our writers in residence from this season. Her name is Rebecca Crosby, and she has been contributing essays to our blog and is going to be the featured guest of this segment. Rebecca, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you and have a chance for our listeners to get to know you a little bit more and uh, just have a glimpse into your passions and your heart and your family and what you have to say on this particular topic that we've been covering in this episode because I just love what you have to say on this topic. (laughs) So would you begin by just telling us a little bit about your family and yourself? Yes. So I am a mom of two daughters. Uh, My oldest is 10 and her little sister is four. My husband is a 
furniture maker here. Uh, he -hmm. has a business building custom furniture, which has been another fun adventure for our family over the last few years. We live in central Florida. So fifth grade and preschool are two very different stages of childhood. And so we are finding so much joy in that and figuring out how to work through the struggles of that. So yeah, well, I am so glad that you're here. And it's been a real joy to just work alongside you as we shape the content for our series topics. I thank you for the investment that you made in being a writer in residence this fall, just because it's, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that people don't know about. And you've been such a trooper to roll with us as we are learning and doing this for the first time. So thanks for all the time you've put in because it's been really wonderful wonderful to just have you on board. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, so this month we are talking about cultivating home and the reason this topic really is important to me is I think that our homes are such a sacred and important place of development for our children as well as a place of respite. Hopefully, our homes are a place of respite for ourselves <laughs> and our spouses uh, and anybody else who comes here and I know everybody's home looks different and how they accomplish the kind of environment they want to have. And so I would love for you to open this conversation just talking about what you think makes a house a home or what has made your house your home to you guys. Well, let's see. One of the things that I love about our home, it's not its not very big. It's a mm-hmm. fairly small three-bedroom house. And when we moved into this house, let's see, a little over eight years ago, we had one two-year-old mm-hmm. and it was just the three of us. And so we didn't have a whole lot. We have a lot of, I mean, we've been married for 14 years and still most of our furniture is hand-me-down from family members or things that we both brought into yeah. married life when we moved into our first little apartment together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have a lot of mismatched pieces and things like that. But I kind of love that um, eclectic style anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you know, when we were trying to figure out how we wanted, how we wanted our home to feel, one of the big things was, well, it's just the three of us. And we have this little girl who's two years old. And being that it was just the three of us, when we first moved into this house, we didn't have a dining room. Instead, Mm -hmm. we had a rug on the floor and toys Mm -hmm. on the rug on the floor. Mm -hmm. And we had a little table in our kitchen where the three of us ate because we didn't really need anything more than that. And it was very simple. And Mm -hmm. that just felt natural to me over time. You know, kids get bigger and their toys get bigger and Mm -hmm. start to take over the house. (laughs) And one of the first home improvement things we did here was we had a little just a little concrete slab screened in porch on the back of our house and we closed it in uh, so yeah. that it to make more of a little sunroom area. And I had a vision for what that room was going to be like. It was going to be, you know, the my little nook where I could sit and read and I was going to set it up this way and we were going to have chairs and a couch. And that room was taken over by art supplies and toys <laughs> so fast. Um mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, I still, I can still sit over here and it's honestly, it's, it's full of stuff now. It's full of, that's where all the toys are. That's where all the art supplies are. There's a little DVD player out there for the kids and, but it's still one of my favorite spaces in the house. Yeah. We never really had any desire, even when our oldest was really little like that, to hide the fact that a child lives here. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom let us play wherever we landed. And so my younger sister and I, we would set up our, I don't even know what you would call it, you know, the land of Barbies or a dollhouse or, you know, (laughs) you you mean Barbie explosion? (laughs) Oh yes. That's an excellent (laughs) word for it. But we would set up our toys wherever we were playing for the day. And my mom hated to make us clean them up because yeah. we had put all this time into our into our big setup and and we had a whole system going and she would often let us just pause what we were doing and leave it overnight which yeah. you know I can only do that so so much in our house yeah. Yeah. that was good for me you know she let us be kids in our house and so it was our home and it would that was comfortable for us as children and I really want to cultivate that same feeling for my girls mm-hmm. um, that this is their space and their home 
just as much as it is mine. I mean, obviously yeah. there are limits to the mess that I can handle. We're in a much smaller space. And yeah. so things do get put away more frequently here than, mm-hmm. than my sister and I did when we were kids. But still, um, you know, they know that they can, they set up their Legos on the, you know, on the coffee table and mm-hmm. there's things everywhere during the day with the knowledge that at the end of the day, everything will get tidied up and put away. But I'm yeah. not, we're, we're just not concerned with, um, yeah. with it being perfect and pristine or, or you walk into our home and think, wow, <laughs> yeah, do you even have kids? You know, because we do, and there's evidence of them all over the place. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to draw attention to the essay that you wrote for our community mm. this month, um, which I think was titled Kids Live Here. Yes. And I just love what you shared in that about the sentiment of just not resenting the messes and not feeling like we're supposed to have a different kind of house when we're in the season with little ones who have things that they need and things in their world that we're maybe not used to from before the Mm -hmm. season of early parenthood. And I'd love for you to talk about that essay a little bit and just how your perspective has been shaped about having nice things (laughs) or, um, you know, just that whole idea that you explored in your essay. Yes. I I said we need to get rid of the phrase, this is why we can't have nice things, which Mm -hmm. is something that I used to say, you know, I mean, I think all moms say that and we yeah. laugh and because we all understand the sentiment and it's, it's accurate and true. And, um, but for me, it's been really realizing, and this isn't something that was automatic for me in motherhood. I struggled in the beginning, especially when I was a first time mom with the way that, that parenting and, and having a child in your home kind of turns everything upside down. There are, wait, yeah. where did all these toys come from? And where am I supposed to put them? And especially when she's our first. And so we've got grandparents who want to give her things and we're living in a small space and where are we going to put all of this? And, mm-hmm. um, and then you quickly realize kids, kids make messes and not all of the messes can be cleaned up with a magic eraser, you know? Mm, (laughs) And so our couch is very old. The couch is always the thing that I point to. It's our one piece that I'm always thinking, oh, we're going to replace that next year. We're going to get a new couch. And I have a vision for what that's going to look like. And it's going to be beautiful and, um, and it's not going to have stains on it. But when it comes down to it, we still have little kids living here in this house and yeah. and something will get spilled on the new couch, just like the old couch. And really, the old couch is fine. What's the couch for? It's for us to sit on. We mm-hmm. sit on it. It's comfortable. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, and I think a lot of that, it's just a shift in in the way that we think about what's important for me, it is anyway, you know, it's so easy, especially nowadays with Instagram and we're watching fixer upper and Joanna Gaines and, Mm -hmm. and all these things. And and it's fun. And we dream about what we want our homes to look like and what I would do if I had a hundred thousand dollars and could, you know, make over my space and what would I do with it? And it's fun to think about, but sometimes I think I get carried away and then I forget the gift of what's right in front of me, which is our home is a comfortable place for our kids and we like mm-hmm. it here. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with our old furniture and the rug with the stain on it or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever that yeah. point of discontent is for anyone. I think we all have our own little things. So I look at a certain thing in my house and I go, Oh, I just, ah, but we step back and look at the bigger picture of what we have. Yeah. We have everything we need. And there's just, I have so much joy from these kids in my home and the way that they make it a home. There's no need for me to go worrying about getting a new couch right now. And it's just, those things just don't matter really. Well, and when you were talking about, you know, just eliminating the phrase, this is why we can't have nice things. Mm -hmm. What it really made me think of, and you said the word a couple sentences ago, just about discontent and Mm -hmm. how, there is just such sneaky, easy ways to become discontent with what we have. And that's not to say we can't make changes because I think as our families grow and change and move through transitions, changes are sometimes necessary. Sometimes yes. changes are 
really good and we can deliberately and strategically say we are going to replace our couch and you know that can be a family choice to update the space to serve the needs that you have at that time but I think that that still is better done as a proactive choice not something that is I'm so unsatisfied or so Mm -hmm. discontent with what I have so I just I love that idea that you brought up in your essay. And by the time this podcast airs, it will have already appeared on the blog. So we'll have a a link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to go over and check it out. And uh, one of the things that you also, you brought up Instagram and Fixer Upper. And I think there's just a lot of pressure to have a put together home for mm-hmm. most women, they feel yes. a sense of like, I really got to, I really got to do this well because it's a reflection of me in some very deep way. And I myself really battle shame about my own housekeeping abilities because I am, as much as I would love to be a minimalist, I just don't know how to accomplish that <laughs> with the life that I have and the family size that I have. And even if I bring a really focused effort, I really struggle to get beyond the what must happen right in this moment to just do the next thing. I never get to this satisfying end of this is amazing and we all right. love it here and it's peaceful and organized and we don't have too many things. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you feel susceptible to that same pressure to have a nicely kept house, even though you've made peace with the fact that kids do live in your house and it's going to show in some ways. Yes, I've absolutely battled that. And you know that's an ongoing thing. I think it's easy to to get caught up in comparison Mm -hmm. and also viewing that as something that's just expected of women. Oh, you know, I'm a wife and I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a homemaker. So therefore these should be qualities that are built in. And for me, oh my goodness, I'm a messy person. (laughs) Um, I might be a perfectionist in many areas of my life, but I'm a messy person. You know, my own laundry barely makes it into the drawers before it's you know, I am pulling things out of my own clean laundry basket to wear. And well, and I also know that especially for moms, yeah, our own bedrooms tend to be the forgotten wasteland. <laughs> At least mine right. is. Mine is too. I'm surrounded right now. I'm in my bedroom and I have probably four loads of laundry piled on the bed. <laughs> and the other side is my desk, which I don't think you could see the surface of if you didn't spend 20 minutes clearing it off. Right. So yes, yep. very true. Yes. My desk is covered with things right now as well. And yeah, that's the space where I, you know, you chuck all the things and then close the door because you don't expect mm-hmm. anyone to go wandering in. If you do have people at your house, <laughs> yeah. no one will or wander into the master. don't go through this door. Please do not. Right, right. <laughs> That's closed for a reason. For me, it's been something that's that's really changed the whole being able to keep my house clean and put together mm-hmm. has been lowering my expectations a little bit, lowering the expectations I put on myself truly yeah. because so often, and I think I heard, um, is it Kendra from The Lazy Genius? Mm-hmm. She's talked about this before, this idea of you don't always have to do a deep clean, just tidy up and learning how to go around and do a quick tidy even if you get the kids to join in and and make it a make it a fun thing but for me learning to just not expect every time i look around my house and i think we have people coming here in an hour there's yeah. no way i'm going to get to all of this it this place is a disaster if right. i can tidy up maybe run the vacuum you know, dust off some surfaces, it makes a huge difference. And I feel that much better. I feel that much more at peace with our space. And because the kids live here and it's their home and I want them to be comfortable. But at some point, you know, a mess is going to make me feel anxious and unsettled Mm -hmm. and stressed out. But I think sometimes we're really hard on ourselves in that department. Yeah. One of the things that I have really noticed over the years is even though my goal is to have like a beautifully clean house that that to me is what hospitality should look like it's not what my hospitality does look like in practice most of the time Mm -hmm. but I just have that standard of like it's got to be like this or I'm a total failure and when in reality, I have never gone to someone's house who has prepared in any small way for me to be there and walked in and gone, oh my goodness, you did not finish cleaning up behind your couch. (laughs) And if anything, it just makes me feel more at ease to just see that they are real people who have Mm -hmm. the same kind of stuff that I have at my house. 
And, you know, even though it's a little vulnerable to have someone into your space when it's not perfect, um, I think it can go a long way to make someone feel at ease with you and, you know, realize that you're, you're real and they can relate to you. And I try to put less pressure on myself just because I know that, you know, if I've, if I've done a, a meager amount of preparing for someone to arrive that, that's enough because I'm yes. really welcoming them into a relationship, not welcoming in, them into a Homes and Gardens magazine show. Or yes. You know? yes, I totally agree. It's a relief and you feel this instant camaraderie with someone <laughs> when you walk into their homes and the dishes aren't done or, you know, or they have a laundry basket sitting on their couch, just like you do at your house. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, I really want to take a little bit of time to kind of highlight just more about you. You've done the hard work of supporting our team and our community with your writing um, this season. And part of that is us just wanting to share some of the awesome things that you're working on outside of Kindred Mom. And this one is extra special because Lindsay Cornette is also on our Kindred Mom team. I know she works on the Drafting Desk project with you. I'd love for you to talk about what that is and share just the heart behind that vision that you have for that newsletter. Yes. The Drafting Desk is a monthly email newsletter Mm -hmm. that is aimed at women who, well, and honestly, we have some men subscribers too, so it's kind of funny, but mostly Mm -hmm. women who Mm -hmm. would call themselves recovering perfectionists. And we are women who have walked this road ourselves and are continuing on this journey. Um, just unearthing what perfectionism does to us mm-hmm. in our lives as mothers, as women, as friends, um, the way that it can affect our relationships, the way that we can look back and see the way some of our perfectionist tendencies have played into decisions that we've made throughout our whole lives. The thing that I, the story I always tell is that when Lindsay invited me to, to, to consider doing this with her. She'd had this idea starting this newsletter. And I said, mm, well, I don't really know why you're asking me <laughs> because, mm-hmm. because of like what I said earlier, I, I don't see evidence of a perfectionist living in my house. I'm messy. I can be unorganized. I feel like I'm constantly playing catch up or mm-hmm. making a mistake or forgetting a kid's lunch or, you know, all of these things. But what I realized is that my motivations are often rooted in this desire for a perfect outcome. And so God has been teaching me so much about what that has looked like, helping me to reflect on that over the course of my life. And Mm -hmm. as I look back and think of different examples and stories and ways that it's played out in my life, and also in what I'm doing now and, and how I mother and as a writer. And so in the process of working on this newsletter alongside Lindsay, I've learned so much about myself and God has used it to help me make changes mm-hmm. and kind of let some of those things go and to recognize the areas where some of that's rooted in sin that I needed to be dealt with and get, get rid of. And so he's constantly growing and teaching me through that. And it seems like it's a message that resonates with a lot of women. And that's been really encouraging to us to know, Mm -hmm. not only to know that people are receiving what we're writing well and what we're trying to share there, but to also know we're not alone in this. There's a lot of us who struggle with these tendencies. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I love about it, because I've subscribed for a while now. And so I'm I feel like I have a well-rounded perspective of just the process you guys have gone through to explore this topic from different angles. And a couple of the things I've noticed, first of all, is the newsletter is just really a gift every month. It's such a gentle but insightful, practical way to look at the ways that perfectionism robs you of joy and Mm -hmm. robs you of the ability to really lean into things that would bring a lot of meaning to your life. And I guess I just, I love hearing you both actually talk about the distinctions between perfectionism and say, just trying to do something excellently. Or I would love for you to just talk about how you define perfectionism and how you can identify if you are a person with perfectionist tendencies. I feel like in my earlier years, I really dealt with that in a very serious way. And now I've had enough distance from it that I almost don't remember because 
now that I have six children, um, <laughs> I don't get to be a perfectionist about anything. Uh, I've learned how to right. be flexible and gracious with myself and just kind of roll with life as it comes because I really don't have any other choice. Right. But I just think that making some of those distinctions between what perfectionism is and isn't would be really helpful. Yes. So for me, what it has looked like is, again, really figuring out which it involves a little a little bit of digging, really, because on the surface, again, I could easily say, nope, that's not me. I don't fit mm-hmm. into this category at all. But it really goes down to what my motivations are. Mm-hmm. If I'm working hard and striving and, and trying to do my very best to earn someone's approval, mm-hmm. um, if I am a f- working out of a place of fear that if I don't do X, Y, Z well enough, I will be rejected mm-hmm. or I will lose someone's affection or someone might be disappointed in me. I think for, for me personally, it, it has a lot to do with um, a fear of disappointing people. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, that's a really big problem because that's rooted in really, when it comes down to it, that's rooted in I'm prioritizing uh, another flawed human being's opinion of me above Mm -hmm. what God thinks of me. And God looks at us and he's sent his son to die for us. So we're his children, we're his adopted children. And when you think about the way that you look at your own children, well, do I love my kids because they do everything perfectly? Absolutely not. (laughs) That could be a problem. (laughs) That would be a big problem. And so it's just, it's really ridiculous to think that we might lose God's affection for us because we mess up. He knows we're going to mess up. We're we're sinful people. We're broken people, and and that's why He sent Christ for us um, to redeem us and bring mm-hmm. us back into the family. And so, looking at my own kids, I mean, motherhood, like you were saying, sometimes motherhood really that just throws any desire yeah. for perfect out the window. So it has been extremely helpful uh, for me as a mom. I feel like it's in a way, forced me to loosen up a little bit, let go a little bit, especially by the time my second came along. Mm -hmm. With the first, you still feel like you have a lot of control there, you know, until they decide they want to start decorating their own bedroom or whatever it is. With a Sharpie. Oh, oh, yes. (laughs) So many things taped to the walls Mm -hmm. and marker and yes, everything else. Um, But so... I think I think a lot of perfectionism has to do with wanting to hold on to control as well. And mm-hmm. again, we we're just we're not in control, and we can't pretend like we are. And the more that we try to hold on and control outcomes, control appearances, whatever it may be, uh, we're just going to get more and more miserable because yeah. it's just not possible. Um, and and yeah, so. So, so motherhood has helped me to let go quite a bit. When my husband and I were first married, this is one of the first stories that made me think, oh, you know, maybe I do have a problem with this. I was extremely self-conscious. On Sundays, we would get ourselves ready to go to church and, and we were newlyweds. And for some reason, you know, that's another thing about perfectionism. I think it causes us to focus inward so much. We can become very self-absorbed in the in some of those moments, but... <laughs> I would be trying to get ready for church and I was convinced that when we walked in because we were newlyweds and it was all exciting that that everyone was going to be looking at us mm-hmm. and that if I didn't present myself and us as a couple in just the right way mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know what I was afraid of but my poor husband it, I mean <laughs> you know you look back and think on the, the early days of marriage and I'm like I'm really sorry for the torture mm, <laughs> but yeah. I would I would really um I would really panic over what I was wearing and if it was right and if my hair looked okay and and then you know I remember one time walking down the stairs of our apartment and spilling my coffee on myself and going and just completely melting and falling apart yeah. I can't go I can't go today I can't be around people today because everyone's going to be looking at me and mm-hmm. now I have coffee on my dress and my shoes were wrong anyway. And, 
you know, it goes on and on. And I think as I've gotten older, it wasn't so much things like, what am I wearing anymore? But it turns into things like, what does my house look like? And for quite a while, we rented a really small apartment when my first was born. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't what I wanted my home to look like because it was a rental. And so we were kind of just making do with what we had. Mm -hmm. And, And so that became my point of embarrassment and panic and it's not right. I can't invite anyone into this. And, mm-hmm. and again, you get older and, and your priorities change and, and the ways that you struggle with perfectionism change. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so now I might struggle more with, I'm afraid to hit publish on this blog post because I, mm-hmm. it's not good enough or someone already did it better or what will people think or will people misunderstand me and think the wrong thing. So it can play out in a lot of different ways. And these are just the ways that I struggle personally. It looks completely different for everyone. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things I've noticed through the writing you guys have done and the conversations that we've had is just that perfectionism robs you of so many things, especially of the ability to receive or offer grace to others, whether that is a spouse or a child or a friend. And you know, it's kind of when that embarrassment creeps up or that fear of failing creeps up and that there's not a way to combat that because you're just holding so tightly to like, I just have to do it right. <laughs> if I do yes. it right and I get the A plus or I get the right. approval that you were talking yes. about. And mm-hmm. um, I just know that as I have journeyed as a mother that I have not always been gracious with my kids. That has been mm-hmm. I'm still not always gracious with my kids, if I'm honest. Right. Um, But that is like a goal and a desire and a deeply held conviction that that's what I aspire to. Mm -hmm. And if we're aspiring to grace, we can't be entangled with the cords of perfectionism or the cords of of having to have that approval or have um, people always think well of us because I'm thinking of toddlers in a grocery store. Yes. And I'm thinking of like all the times, especially parenting in public or just when, you know, we don't have control of the situation, but we do have Mm -hmm. control over how we respond to it. And to have a gracious response is something that we have to practice. We have to take a look at what is making me react in an ungracious way and um, be able to turn that a different direction. And so that's what I think is so profound about this to me Mm -hmm. is that it's, yes, it can also rob you of just joy and peace and, you know, following the call in your life or the project that you want to work on or those kind of things. But it also just keeps us from being able to invest ourselves in grace with others. And that's kind of a deal breaker for me. You know, I just, I I want to be a gracious person and um, it's taken me a lot of years to get part of the way there. (laughs) Yes. So that um, is an ongoing that is an ongoing education, I think. Yeah. And I don't know that I really even understood what grace meant until I was an adult. And yeah. being a mom has helped me to understand it that much more. And and I, I would just want my kids to know that, that I love them no matter what, that my love for them mm-hmm. isn't based on their performance mm-hmm. or them making mistakes or not making mistakes, that I love them because they're my kids and and that's all there is to it. And yeah. it's so often I'm saying these words to my children and then realizing, okay, this mm-hmm. is also God speaking this over me and I need to yeah. remember that um, as, we, as we all learn how to do this, how to offer each other grace and how to receive it from each other as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful and good. We have to wrap up here, but I want people to be able to find you online and get subscribed to the Drafting Desk newsletter because it is such a gift and it is not overwhelming. I know you guys just really send quality, insightful, inspiring stuff. So I encourage people to subscribe. Where can they do that? Yes, they can head to thedraftingdesk.com and there's a subscribe button right there. We're also on Instagram at The Drafting Desk and we're on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we'd love for you to come find us there. We recently, uh, just this month, we hit our two-year anniversary of sending Mm -hmm. out this newsletter. And so we've launched as a as a little side project to backpack off of that, we've launched a blog. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be sharing extra things because like you said, we don't want to overwhelm anyone's inbox with 
tons of things and we don't want the, the, the newsletter to be overly long and, and tedious for people. So yeah. we're going to add some extra content and follow up on But it is things. a rich subject that kind of needs a little room. So I think yes, the blog is amazing. Yeah. So we're excited about that to be able so to good. offer that. So. And your personal writing, do you have a place for that? Yes, I uh, I blog at writetheroughdraft.com and I'm on Instagram. Write the Rough Draft is my name there. Um, well, another little nod to getting it out there, even though it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. So I named it and challenged myself in doing in doing Aww. so. Well, it's so, so courageous, yeah. and you are an exquisite writer with a huge heart. And I'm just so grateful that you've been working with us this fall. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love I've loved being. Part part of this team.